Welcome to yet another expert podcast run by the UNESCO Inclusive Policy Lab. This is part of our expert series focusing on post-COVID reset, meaning a reset, a more equitable and smart path. As customary here, this podcast will discuss on one hand concrete policy measures that are seen by our experts as being conducive to such a recovery, and on the other hand, the data and the knowledge that we hold or perhaps lack but need to inform these policy shifts. Our expert today is Dan Quill. She's the Bennett Professor of Public Policy at the University of Cambridge, Director of the Productivity Institute and Fellow of the UK Office for National Statistics. Dan has also served as a member of the UK Digital Competition Panel and as a Vice Chairperson of the BBC Trust. These roles and the very rich expertise Diane brings are central to this discussion. Diane, welcome. Thank you for the invitation. I'm Yulia Shevchuk, UNESCO's lead on inclusive policies and knowledge use in policy, and I'm your host for this podcast. So today we talk about new data, focusing particularly on valuing data and on distributing such value. Diane, let's first start with your take on data value. You advocate for a more comprehensive understanding, and you make key distinctions between value and profits, as well as between economic and social value of data. So could you please break down this approach for us? I can, and I'm going to take a step back and talk about how I, as an economist, think about understanding the value of data. And it has characteristics that make it different from normal economic goods like apples or cars. One of the key characteristics is that it's what we would call in our language non-rival. And that means that different people can use it at the same time and it doesn't get depleted by use. And it also has a lot of externalities or spillovers. One of the ones that we talk about a lot in policy is the negative externality of loss of privacy, either your privacy to tech companies or just that you reveal data about yourself through the actions of other people. But there are also positive externalities. A lot of the value that we get from data is actually useful information that comes from joining up different types of data. And to give a very current example, in the context of a pandemic, it's of interest to lots of people what my temperature is, even though it's quite personal data. And on the other hand, I know only through knowing the population average if my own temperature is dangerously high or not. That's a simple example, but there are lots of cases where the value that people get from data is about using it and joining it up with other things. So think about apps that link up different kinds of transport data that help you get around easily and not waste time. And uh, think about the potential for joining up your health data and your shopping data. And somebody could develop an app that would help you shop more wisely to eat more healthily. So a lot of the advantages would come from being able to join up the data. These two characteristics mean that you can't rely on the market to get you to the best solution. We have a situation now where legally companies that collect the data technologically and order it into data sets are the legal owners of that data. So we can't access it and use it. Other companies can't access it and use it. It's helped create market power. So we've got very large, in effect, data monopolies in certain markets. So there's a lot of private profit being made and by smaller companies too, a lot of potential for private profit and useful services. But there's also a lot of um, other value that's being left on the table by the fact that we can't do this joining up and we can't have more use of data that's already there. You talked before about different actors participating in this value creation. 
Why do you think it is important to capture the role and the investment made by uh, each and every actor and why it matters in policymaking? Well, there are some trade-offs here. It's very costly to collect and clean data and maintain it securely, and that investment has to be covered. And yet the characteristics of data make it a kind of public good. Indeed, we, we do pay for lots of data through taxes and official statistics are a really useful form of reference data that lots of people use. So one of the trade-offs is finding a way to make sure that the private investors in data or the public investors in data can charge for it or extract enough value from it through selling advertising to cover those initial costs. So, so that has to be done. But the trade-off is that once the data is there, the, you create the maximum social value by having as many people as possible able to use it. So in the United Kingdom, for example, we have a lot of geospatial data collected by the Ordnance Survey, which for many decades now has been providing detailed, accurate maps of the country. This is incredibly valuable to people who want to provide mapping services or for autonomous vehicles in future. And it's costly. It has to be collected, kept up to date, maintained in a secure way. How is that going to be funded? Is it going to be funded just through raising taxes like other public goods, like the legal system or the police? Or should parts of it be charged for? And if parts of it should be charged for, well, how much and who should pay what? Should you charge more to large companies than to individuals? So there are a lot of policy questions about how do you pay for it and then how open do you make it? So given such complexities in terms of uh, the true nature of data, in terms of actors involved, in terms of types of data, do you think uh, our current takes and approaches to data valuing are well fit to capture all of this? I, I don't think so, and it's a, a hard problem. It, it isn't very well understood what the value of, of data is, even in a private market context. If you think about kinds of data that have been around for a very long time, such as consumer credit data, it isn't like the supermarket where the prices are posted on the shelves. It's all bespoke. You've got to tell the company what you would like to get and they'll charge it, you know, set a price for you. Even in private use, it's very hard to value data. Companies are just starting to think about value in terms of if they used their data to do things better, how much more profit could they make or how much better a service could they deliver? So they're thinking about that. But the potential uses, that's really hard to understand. And here at the Bennett Institute in Cambridge, we're just starting to do some work, thinking about methods for putting a value so that governments can understand, for example, how much should they invest in national statistics? or if they're going to have bodies charging money for data sets, how much should those charges be set at? So it's really unknown territory. I think we've got to the stage where we know there's value. It's, it's not zero, but we don't have a method, an agreed method for understanding exactly what that value is. So it's, it's very open. And similarly, in terms of governance arrangements or the regulation of data, I think it's all very fluid. So we're not there yet, but what are the concrete tools and frameworks you think are doing an okay job in terms of capturing, in terms of research, practice and policy? And I'm asking this question in case our listeners want to look and get some of these concrete and hands-on tools. I don't think there are many easy concrete tools available, I must say, but there are a lot of interesting reports that are starting to address the problem in a systematic way. 
and some academic literature that's starting to do so as well. For example, UNCTAD recently published a report on cross-border data flows, which has a really good and comprehensive analysis of what the issues are and starting to think about potential solutions to it. My team here is trying to think about methods for, in practice, how do you estimate data sets, their value, and put a, put a number on it. And there's a very wide-ranging debate about, about governance of data and the extent to which regulation or, or new legislation is needed in different countries to open access to currently privately held databases. But that's an exciting time to start engaging with these kinds of policy, actually, because if you're a policymaker um, and you start to get this right now and lay this framework, then you're leaving a really good legacy for people in future. Well, having uh, talked about valuing data, let's move to the very hot and very complex topic of distribution and sharing such value amongst all the actors involved in its co-creation, in essence. Yeah. First, governments. You talked just now and on previous occasions about how governments should stop seeing themselves only as regulators or as mere market fixers when it comes to data and that they should be increasingly positioning themselves as investors and value creators. So what is the value, economic and beyond, you think the government should be claiming back when it comes to data? And are there any concrete examples you would like to draw to the attention of our listeners? Maybe examples already happening and governments doing it or at brainstorming stage, people thinking and researchers and policymakers thinking about doing it. So it's a really important and a good question, and there are different parts to the answer. One of my interests has been that there are some very big tech companies who hold a lot of data, and that has given them tremendous market power. And how should we think about enabling more competition in those markets, and what role does data play in that? And the approach we've taken in the UK is to think about the model of open banking, where we have mandated that the big banks that hold most of the market share should have open APIs, these application programming interfaces, so they don't need to hand over data, but for approved new financial services company, companies that want to get into that market, then customers can give permission for their own data to be accessed. So can you open up data in that way that will expand competition? And so a lot of thought has been going into how to apply that to big companies like Google and, and Facebook. So I think we'll see movement there. There's a big debate about other forms of creating um, accumulations of data that lots of people can use constructively and cre to create value. That might be among businesses in supply chains. The um, Internet of Things, the fact that there are sensors being put in um, supply chains to keep the logistics running smoothly or to keep the assembly line running smoothly. Similarly, you would want a framework, a, a legal and governance framework where new suppliers could access that. You create a vibrant competitive market through the framework for managing data. On the personal data level, there's a lot of experimentation with data trusts or what people call data pods, where as an individual, you can control all your own data through your actions online and give permission to people that you want to buy services from. So there's a lot of experimentation going on on that and uh, quite a lot written about that. So making markets work well 
and enabling new entrants and competition to thrive. That's one area that governments need to be thinking about. And then there's this question, you raised this question of distribution, which I think is really interesting. An example that's come up in the United Kingdom where we have the National Health Service, which has a wonderful database of patient information, both in hospitals and in primary care. And it's been quite controversial um, the government's proposed taking all the primary care patient data and selling it to some private sector pharmaceuticals companies. It's been controversial, and I think that's because it's not clear to people who are the patients, and that's all of us in this country, what are the benefits that we're going to get. We obviously have the benefit of the health service um, day to day, but if there are private companies, are we just giving them the scope to make very large profits? from their use of this data for research. So how do we think about these downstream value chains and what's going to be created with that data? For me as an economist, it's about fair access for lots of potential entrants. So if the government is intending to sell the data, it should make sure it's not exclusive. It should be able to sell it to all kinds of people who want to enter the market. Obviously with all the proper safeguards around security and confidentiality, and anonymization. But I think there's a very low level of trust about the use of data now that people have become aware of these kinds of issues and a sense that it isn't fair that the, the profits, the value is going to a very small number of players. And so we need a governance framework that makes it clearer that there will, will be benefits for society broadly and for, people, for many people through the increased use of data. Going a bit deeper into this and into the role of governments and distribution of data value to governments, do you think COVID-19 changed anything in this regard? I'm especially thinking uh, about the governments and them realizing, many of them realizing the social value of data when it came to COVID and issues of access. I'm not talking only emergency and in emergency cases, but sustained access to data and the use of it for collective benefit and for collective uh, policy making? It's been a great example of the importance of and value you get from sharing data. And obviously there has been tremendous sharing of the genetic data of different variants and also about health data, case numbers and mortality rates and so on. And that has enabled the scientific community from the people creating the vaccines through to the epidemiologists and public health experts to respond better and faster than they otherwise would. And it's been a fantastic demonstration of the power of using data and you know, the importance of, of doing so quickly and, and being open about it. It's also been a great stimulus to the use of data by members of the public and by intermediaries like think tanks and journalists. So I think we've all become more aware as citizens of seeing this data presented and, and trying to understand it. And so there's a question about, um, you know, statistical literacy, if you like, how are people interpreting the data? And we've started on that journey. And I think that was, that's something that's going to continue. One area I'm quite interested in is our own Office of National Statistics in the UK was able to get much more private sector data because of the crisis than it otherwise had. So for example, credit card transactions data to be able to monitor almost in real time, what was happening to the economy and how, how big a hit was it taking every time there was some kind of lockdown or restriction. 
And I would love to see that continue after the period of crisis is over. And I think we, we don't yet know whether that will happen. But it's another example of the sort of public good benefits of privately held data. So the short answer is yes, I think it, it has been a great demonstration of the value of this kind of collective information that we can create and, and, and you know, further value that we can generate through sharing and using data. Now let's move to the second part of this conversation on distribution, and that is whether and how people, citizens, should be paid for their data. Highly debated uh, right now and uh, relates more to monetary value of data. Some experts uh, see it being distributed through some sort of uh, dividends that could possibly take form of basic income scheme, not necessarily universal. Others say that such revenue is be tiny if paid directly to individuals, but if aggregated, so to say, they could be channeled to, to fund broader societal agendas and broader policy agendas, such as universal basic services, and that's something you uh, spoke about uh, and in favor of before. So what is your take, Diane, uh, on the underlying idea of redistributing such monetary value and such funds? Um, and if you think it's a good idea and it's feasible, what policy form do you think this exercise uh, could take? I don't think it's a good idea. There are lots of online calculators and you can work out the value of your personal data. And as you say, it's pretty small. And I'm living in a, an affluent country and I'm uh, well paid as a professor. And the value of my data was tiny when I tried one of these calculators. So for many people, the payment you might expect for your personal data is really low. So there's that part to it. But it just seems very indirect to me. If you think there are companies that are getting an unfair amount of value from personal data, well, the obvious approach, policy approach to that is to tax them. Using the tax system to reflect a society's preferences about redistribution, you know, making people contribute fairly to the, for the benefit of all seems a much more direct way of addressing these kinds of distributional questions and you know i think there are big distributional questions linked to technology another one is the polarization we've seen in job markets where people who have very high level of academic skills and particularly any digital skills get extremely well paid there are lots of jobs people in services, person-to-person -person services, but they're pretty badly paid. And that middle part of the labor market in terms of skills and wages has really re reduced in many, in many countries. And many people think that's because of automation. So um, they suggest that we should tax the robots. And that might sound kind of silly headline, but actually we have tax systems that tax labor and subsidize capital. And so if you want to change the pattern of what's happening in the labour market, then think about using this much more powerful tool of the tax system. And the more interesting and I think difficult distributional questions for me are about enabling people to benefit from this technology, whether it's the data itself or some other aspect of new technologies. What are the business models? What are the regulatory frameworks that will make these markets work well and deliver affordable services? For everybody, how can governments raise the tax revenues to deliver the public service that everybody needs? And I think that's a more powerful redistributive tool than saying 
let's tackle big tech companies and ask them to pay for individual data. You'll have a much bigger impact on people's lives if you create the public infrastructure and the private services that give them the opportunities that they need to get on in life. So to sum up, your take is don't pay people directly, tax the companies and then redistribute it through whatever mechanism uh, the government uh, seems fit. Tax their profits, use the money to invest in infrastructure and redistribution. It wasn't intended, but there is a fat layer to this question on distribution that I'd like to touch upon because you already mentioned it, and that's developed, developing country divide. Much of the data is being uh, produced in developing countries. It's being monetized and the profits reach very few in very few countries. So do you think we should be addressing this issue now? Uh, and if so, how? This is a difficult question. And one thing that I have observed happening, and I'm not sure it's the right answer, is um, laws about data localization. And the problem with that is that to process the data and extract useful information from it, you need access to data centers. And it's just not the case that every country is going to get its own data center that big tech companies will use to store that country's data. If you're a big, powerful country, you can enforce that, or you can enforce it within the EU. If you're a small, lower middle income country, you probably can't enforce that. And so for those places saying, we must have data localization is like saying we're going to stop anybody from being able to use this data. And yet they are, as you say, the source of that information. And so to deliver services and make a profit, it's going to have to be used in the country. Thinking about policies addressing those uses and who's, got, who's able to come into the market and provide services, who's able to access the data and use it. So for those kinds of countries, I think data openness is more important than data localization. And actually, you highlight the divide between developing and developed economies. I think it's more a divide between big places and small places. And even the UK, although a big economy, is small in the data economy. The big companies are American and Chinese because they have the scale and they've got the big players. The EU has the scale to be able to face up to some of those companies. Maybe we've left the EU now. We're a small country. Um, we've got skills. We generate a lot of data, but we're not in a particularly powerful position vis-a-vis -vis big tech companies. And so I would make the same policy recommendation to the UK government. It's about openness. It's about being able to use that data here to generate services of value to people here. And it's not so important about where does the data center sit. Let's move now to the last but very important part of this conversation. So our concern here at the UNESCO Inclusive Policy Lab uh, is about connecting knowledge and data to policy on the ground. And we touch upon this issue in this part in relation to data itself, meaning data as an area of knowledge and as a uh, policy area. So first, talking to researchers and knowledge producers, what are the areas you think they need to be digging deeper into when it comes to valuing data and concerns of distributions we just talked about? One of my biggest concerns is making sure people think enough about how the data is generated and therefore what it says. Because we bring quite a lot of scaffolding to the creation of data sets. 
And data bias is now a well understood problem because companies developing machine learning techniques have taken existing data sets that are created by biased societies. And if you use that, you're going to get biased, biased inputs give you biased outputs. And it took a little while for people to recognize that. I think it's now understood. It's not an easy problem to fix because we have the kind of society that we have. So if you are in some kind of vulnerable group, that's how you're going to be reflected in, in any kind of database. But it goes broader than that. In economic statistics, a lot of the definitions that we have date from many decades ago. So even thinking about the structure of the economy, we've got classifications that date from a time when the economy was much more heavily based on manufacturing. We have a lot of information about different categories within manufacturing. And yet now, so much of the economy is in services and we know very much less about it. So there's a challenge about how do you start to create new kinds of categories and collect new kinds of data that are a better window on the world as it is now. So just reflecting on, on what the data says, how, how was it created? What was the population from which it was sampled and what was the sample? It's kind of basic statistical knowledge, but in a world where we're using much more data and placing much more importance on it, that widespread access to that kind of knowledge becomes important. And economists ought to know lots of statistics, but they're as bad as anybody at just downloading information from the internet, data sets from the internet and using it without thinking about what does it really mean? Data is only important because it gives you a, a means of accessing a deeper kind of knowledge, the information or, or the wisdom at the top of the famous information pyramid. And when it comes to policymakers, if you are to crystallize three, four key policy recommendations in terms of data value and distribution, what would be those messages? What do you think they should be focusing on now as a matter of priority and preparing for in the near future? It's um, really, as you know, as the conversation shows, it's a very wide area to try and cover. I do think access to data and openness is one of the key issues. I think another is trusted forms of governance of data. And that will vary from country to country. A lot of it will depend on how people feel about their government, what, what the cultural habits are in a different country. But there's a lack of trust. So what is it that's going to build that trust in how data gets used? And acknowledging the complexities, because sometimes the debate is, is wholly negative about loss of privacy or about the power of big companies don't lose sight of the, of the positive potential. And so my advice would be to focus on what are the changes that you need to make to take care of all the bad things that might happen, but above all, capture the positive uh, potential for your fellow citizens. Well, we reached the end of this podcast. Diane, thank you very, very much for this interesting conversation. It was a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. To our listeners, big thanks for being here. For more, Follow the UNESCO Inclusive Policy Lab and our Policy Nerd podcast channel.